that we're social beings. Uh, we're, we're created uh, to, to act not as kind of autonomous individuals, but to act as as part of communities. Uh, and we, it kind of in the modern world, we've lost we've lost that sense. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Otherwise Podcast. Man, so glad that you're listening today. My name is Casey Tigrid. I'm an author and a pastor and spiritual director, and I'm the host of this here podcast y'all are listening to. Got my accent on this morning. Really excited about this week's episode. Um, I say that every week, and I hope you know that I mean that because these are such incredible conversations. Our, Our whole goal here is gathering wise conversations for living well along the journey with Jesus. And this is one of those times where we get to have one of those conversations. Today, my guest is my friend uh, C. Christopher Smith. I'll call him Chris throughout the interview because uh, that's what I did. (laughs) Chris is the editor of something called the Inglewood Review of Books. And I would really... I would really encourage you to check that out. You'll find the link in the show notes. He's also the author of a couple of books. One is called Slow Church. It was co-authored with John Pattison, and also a book called Reading for the Common Good, which we're going to talk quite a bit about in this interview. Um, as you listen today, think about somebody that might want to hear what uh, what we're talking about. Make sure you share this with them. Um, we'll talk a little bit at the end of the episode about everything that's going on and coming up next. But for now, let me get past all this intro stuff and introduce you to my good friend, C. Christopher Smith. Well, Chris, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Good. How are you, Casey? Thanks for having me. Good. Good. And you're coming to us today from the public library. Yes, it's kind of appropriate uh, venue. Uh, it's right, right around the corner from my house and also from the from the church building where my office is. And uh, you're in Indianapolis yes. area, Yeah, that's right? correct. We're okay. in uh, uh, the near east side of Indianapolis, about two miles straight east of downtown. There's just this feeling of camaraderie I have with any Midwestern person because we all know what it means to really suffer for the gospel. <laughs> in California. I'm not so sure. Like, yeah, these winters are, are suffering enough. <laughs> we had six inches of snow last night oh, and it's wow. like negative four here. So <laughs> yep. I think you guys get a little bit worse than, than we do, but, but still we really know how to persevere. <laughs> so, well, Hey man, I always, I start off with this pretty much every time with the same question. Sure. So if you, if you had to from where you are and from where you've come from in your life, if you had to, to start a definition of wisdom, now you don't have to do the, I mean, that's a big deal, mm-hmm. how you define a whole thing like that. But if you were going to start defining wisdom, how would you, how would you begin? Where would you start? I mean, I think one of the things that's really important uh, for me, uh, and I think would be part of answering that question. And this kind of even goes, I mean, it's just kind of broader, uh, human experience, uh, even beyond the Christian tradition that you and I belong to, but but just as I think part of an experience of wisdom uh, lies in rootedness uh, of uh, belonging uh, to belonging to a story, uh, belonging uh, to a tradition, belonging to a place, and kind of really some security um, 
in in your identity in in, in those things that that kind of root root a person root a community uh, and and give them meaning. Uh, so I, th- I think that's the start of uh, an answer to to your question. Yeah. So you those words to root to belong. Um, they're, they're delicious words. <laughs> they really, are. you hear them and you're like, oh yeah. I, and I, I have friends and, and some of us go through these stages where we're kind of vagabond wandering. We want, we want to travel, we want to move. Sure, and, I get that. <laughs> and, uh, but there's this sense of when you say rootedness, I think there's so many people who hear that when you say that does, is there a person that has sort of exemplified this to you? Because there's there's all kinds of sources where that could come from, our own inner desire to be in one place. But is there a person that comes to mind that you're like that? That is where this is all coming from. If I had to point to somebody, this is this is who I would point to. I mean, I think kind of the the kind of big example of that certainly would be uh, the the life and writings and witness of Wendell Berry, um, mm. who I mean went off to school. Uh, in New York for a while and studied in California for a while, um, but um, really felt like uh, he was being called back to kind of the the home community in rural Kentucky uh, where uh, he was was brought up and uh, kind of after he kind of heeded that call and went back, he's he's stayed there for for many decades, um, uh, probably five or six decades at least. and I, I mean, I think there's there's something uh, really significant um, about that story, um, and a, a lot of folks, uh, including myself, uh, have have really uh, learned a lot uh, from um, from not only his story but the ways that he continues to to reflect on on the meaning of that uh, in his his essays, his poetry. Yeah, so if you're listening, you don't know who Wendell Berry is. First of all, you, you just go ahead and stop listening now and go buy the first thing of his you find. Uh, uh, the novel is novelist, essayist, poet, um, farmer, living in in Kentucky. Yep. And it, so here's here's I'm glad you brought him up because here's one thing that in this whole wisdom conversation, I think becomes difficult, which is, especially when you see somebody. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about your book, Reading for the Common Good. And I think sometimes this is what happens is we read someone or we see an example of somebody. But I lived in a pretty small rural community for a long time, and I was reading Barry at the time. And what I kept thinking was, he makes it sound so nice. <laughs> yeah, he's been critiqued for that, uh, that... Um, that there is a bit of nostalgia and kind of idealism. There was a piece that uh, my friend uh, Tamara Hill Murphy did in Plow Magazine about a year ago or so um, that kind of called some of those things into question. And I, I think it's a good, I think it's a good conversation um, to have about uh, some of the ways that uh, maybe his the rural places that he describes maybe don't quite fit uh, the same realities that. Some of the most pressing realities, I'll say, that uh, rural places are facing today. Yeah, but for you, I mean, when we talk about this whole rootedness, is is one of those pieces of the beginning of wisdom. How do you how do you walk through that experience when you find that rootedness sounded great, and then when we started to do it, 
And I think this gets a little bit into the story of Inglewood too. Rootedness sounds great, and then you get into it, and then you realize it's not as ideal. <laughs> it's not as utopian as sure. oh, we're just going to root ourselves in a place. Right. Well, I mean, uh, I think, how do you how do you walk through that? Yeah, I mean, I think that. I mean, that's a pretty familiar experience. I mean, any sort of uh, discipline or practice uh, that uh, we we want to learn. Uh, whether it's playing the piano, um, contemplative prayer, uh, whatever, um, or some sort of sport, distance running, or whatever, um, that uh, you get to a point where your kind of idealism is broken, <laughs> uh, and uh, and it's just really damn hard, <laughs> um, and. Uh, and and that's that's the way it is, and and that's where you start. That's actually the point at which you really start to to learn and grow. And um, uh, is, is that point that kind of of breaking point of yeah, this really this is really hard, but but I'm going to stick with it. I think that's the that's the. Um, uh, I mean, I appreciate again, kind of going back to your questions about wisdom. One of the, and and uh, to uh, the mention of roots, uh, but I mean, I've appreciated the monastic and new monastic uh, sorts of uh, reflections on the practice of stability. I mean, which is fundamentally about rootedness, uh, about learning to to commit uh, to to a place, to a community, uh, or maybe in terms of what we were just talking about, to a practice. Um, uh, over over a long haul, even if it's going to be even if it's going to be hard, even if it doesn't make sense at times, um, even if you look like a, a fool or whatever, um, that there that there's something uh, there's something to to that. There's something wise, I think, about about that. Yeah. So you are a part of a community in an area of Indianapolis. Kind of give us give us the picture of what it is that you are up to. Sure, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think we're always kind of discerning what what we're up to, but but I think though um, that uh, I mean it is important uh, that I am part of the Anglewood Christian Church uh, community. So so this kind of exploration of of rootedness um, is not just something that I'm doing on my own, um, but it's um, being part of a people, and I'm part of my rootedness is, is my commitment uh, to these people in this place. So we're on the urban uh, near east side of Indianapolis, um, a neighborhood. I mean, at one time uh, that would be kind of uh, characterized as uh, maybe a struggling or abandoned even um, urban place. Uh, lots of kind of abandoned real estate. Uh, very similar challenges that you find in a lot of uh, urban neighborhoods, um, maybe less so now than a decade or two ago, um, just because of kind of the re-urbanization uh, re uh, of a lot of our cities, um, kind of uh, upper class folks kind of moving back in uh, to uh, urban neighborhoods. But um, but yeah, so our neighborhood is changing, uh, but but we've committed, our church has been here, Anglo Christian Church is, is a traditional church. Um, we've been uh, in our neighborhood for 120 years, over 120 years, um, and kind of gone up and down with the 
the neighborhood over that history. We were a really large church uh, in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, and then shrunk down by the mid-1980s, and we're a fairly small church, yeah, down to about 100 people or so. Um, so how long have you How long have you been part of that? Uh, so I have been here. Uh, we, we came in 2003, so almost 15 years now, summer of 2003. Um, so we... We became a part of the church in 2003. Um, over the course of the next year, that first year that we were here, we had an opportunity to buy a house uh, and moved into it about a year later, uh, about a year after we had kind of uh, kind of committed ourselves to the, the church. Uh, so we have a, our house is kind of right across the parking lot um, from, from the church building. Um, so, and there's probably the block that we live on probably has about a dozen, 12 to 15 households um, that are people um, that are part of the church, uh, in some way or another. Uh, and then there's probably even another, uh, five to 10 houses on the same block, uh, that, uh, the church owned at one point, uh, but sold to, to other people that aren't part of our congregation. So obviously, um, you're, you're in a very, uh, interesting, you know, the spot that you're in this urban area that you all are in, uh, provides you with a lot of opportunity to be front and center for uh, difficulties and challenges. And the assumption is those things don't happen in the burbs. Oh, uh, of course, that's, that's not, you and I don't both know that's not true. Uh, maybe are uh, buried a little bit deeper, um, but... Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. You get, you get to see it. You get to see it more pronounced in some ways and more clearly. Not only that, but some of the some of the active conversations, political, economic, things like that. And so into that, um, one of the things, one of the ways that I've con- started to connect with you is through uh, the Englewood Review of Books. Mm-hmm. And so into the middle of this uh, challenging urban situation with a lot of dynamics going on, um, you really have, have brought this appreciation and attention to reading, how does how does that fit with what you all are doing, and and you t- and definitely talk about the book that you've written and sure. things like that. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna latch onto one word that you said that you may have even just not intentionally said, but but the word is dynamics. I mean, I think that there are a lot of dynamics uh, going on in our neighborhood or any neighborhood really, um, and so often we're not attentive uh, to to those dynamics, and we try to. Um, uh, act in spite of them or um, or with not a very deep sense of what the real issues are. Um, and I think one of the things that's been really helpful for us is uh, in terms of the, the practice of reading is reading ways that actually help us understand uh, those dynamics. I mean, understand, but as an example, um, understand why so many of our neighbors uh, struggle with addiction and what, what are the roots of that and what does that mean? And, um, and how do we, how do we respond um, compassionately, uh, lovingly uh, in, in, within uh, the, 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 those dynamics Um and so, I mean, there was, I mean, a lot of reading uh, that some of our folks did to, to really understand kind of the nature of addiction and the, the trauma uh, that so many people that have various addictions, um, uh, those addictions oftentimes are um, responses to, to some sort of trauma, uh, whether kind of economic trauma or sexual trauma or um, 
a physical violence um, uh, of some sort. Uh, so, I mean, that's just one example. Uh, but, but, but there, I mean, there's so many other things. Um, I mean, what, what is the nature of the economy of a place, and how do we, how do we act uh, more? Um, more faithfully and more uh, caringly, compassionately within that. And education, yeah. again, another, I mean, how do we, how do we care for our children and what, what are the dynamics of that? Why are, um, I mean, that, yeah, that's a, that's a big mess um, in a lot of places. Um, and uh, I mean, just from the actual kind of curriculum and what is being taught in the schools and what are the effects of kind of always being, uh, taught for a test, yeah. uh, and how does that uh, kind of uh, grind the life out of uh, of learning? Um, but also just kind of the economics of education and the the socio the demographics of of education. Who are in our schools and who have access to what schools? Um, yeah. uh, I mean, the, yeah, and so and and on and on and on. And there's all these kind of issues that um, that. I mean, we're we're all embroiled in in some way or another, um, and and how do we? Again, we can't all be involved in all of those uh, at the deepest level, but but how do we uh, begin as a community? And, and um, uh, kind of the book that I uh, co-wrote before I wrote Reading for Common Good was called a book called Slow Church, um, and one of the arguments that I make there, uh, and kind of already alluded it to it in my comments about rudeness, uh, is that. I believe that we're social beings. Uh, we're, we're created uh, to to act not as kind of autonomous individuals, but to act as as part of communities. Uh, and we, it's kind of in the modern world we've lost we've lost that sense. Um, but but how do we be communities? And my interest, of course, is primarily uh, church communities that that engage deeply um, in the the real issues of the place to which we belong um and um and and reading uh, is an important part of that and that's the case that i make in the reading for the common good book um that uh certainly for churches we have practices of reading reading scripture um and kind of even beyond just kind of the superficial reading of scripture there's all kinds of reading that goes into interpreting and understanding and making sense of scripture uh, from yeah. commentaries on the text to kind of histories of theological interpretation. How do we arrive at a particular understanding of what some a particular passage of the gospels that Jesus spoke, whatever, what does it mean? Um, it has a history behind it uh, that kind yeah. of has shaped, we don't usually think about it, uh, but whatever, whatever understanding we give to that, um, there's some sort of uh, rationale, some sort of history uh, of ways that, that that has taken shape. Um, so, and, would, and that's all reading. Um, yeah. What interests me about, and that, man, there's so much in there. <laughs> what interests me most is, I think a lot of people would hear reading and think of something, they would think of it as, you know, the practice of reading scripture, but I, I think that often gets set into it. It's not, re, it's not the same as reading. Right. You know, they put that in a different category. <laughs> right. But you take, you take reading, which I think most folks would see as a very individualistic mm -hmm. thing. Like you sit down with a book in a place, right. and then you've taken it 
it into the community and said, the reading that you do, it affects how you see the world around you. And then the bigger concept is it also begins to critique. So it's almost impossible to read something that is helpful to the social economic, educational dynamics in your community and not step into a conversation that's deeply political. Oh, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So so how do you... Right now, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed this, Chris. Maybe I'm the first person to no, tell you. So. Uh, politically, it's kind of bonkers. Sure, yeah. um, when, you, when you start drawing people into this practice of reading in your community, uh, how do you... How do you all walk through the political implications of that? Sure. Yeah, I think I think that's a really, really good question um, because I mean we all have kind of political formations uh, that we bring to the table, convictions about about ideology and politics. Um, but I, I think one of the things, and this is uh, getting to a really important point, uh, is that I mean reading is always, as I talk about it anyway, taken in. Uh, in tandem as inextricably bound up uh, with with conversation. Um, and, and conversation is fundamentally about learning to be present uh, with one another. Uh, and I, I think, and then that's one of the reasons that I wrote the Reading for the Common Good book, uh, is that I believe reading is, is a practice that if we do it well, if we do it attentively, uh, can lead us into some significant conversations and 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 teach us how to how to be present uh, with one another. Uh, and I think that's that's what we need most uh, in our kind of highly charged uh, political environment of this day uh, is to uh, to learn to be to be present, especially with, present with people who are coming from uh, different backgrounds than we are uh, politically, economically, racially. Um, and and to learn to to listen to be present, um, to not kind of force uh, force uh, our images and assumptions onto other people's experience, uh, but actually to 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 learn about their experience and to receive uh, one another as as gift. I think one of the things that we talk about at the end of the Slow Church book um, is is about hospitality. And how hospitality is perhaps one of the most um, uh, intimate and mo- most powerful uh, forms of generosity uh, that we're creating. In hospitality, we create a space um, where uh, we can know and be known and where gifts uh, can flow mutually back and forth. Uh, because most generosity kind of, we have a sort of philanthropic mindset, and I'm not against philanthropy, uh, but there's a certain power dynamic where all the resources are kind of flowing in one direction. And hospitality is something different. Hospitality is is a form of generosity that creates a space where we can know and be known and have conversations and give and receive uh, in lots of different ways. Um, yeah. And I think that's uh, that's that's really powerful. Um, and I think that's what we need. Uh, and so the book I'm working on now is a book on conversation, um, 
a book on, which is to say fundamentally a book on presence. Uh, how do we learn to have conversations together and create spaces, hospitable spaces in which we can, can learn to be together and to learn to, to give and receive uh, with people who are, because any, any church, any community, even if it on the surface of things seems really homogeneous, um, it's going to have some degree of diversity within it. Um, whether that's age diversity or economic diversity, political diversity, whatever, um, theological diversity. Um, yeah. But but we don't we don't usually take that into consideration, uh, and we don't have any space to explore that to be curious about um, that sort of of diversity in our midst. And how do we how do we uncover that? And how do we how do we realize? I mean, God, who is Trinity, is is three diverse beings bound together, uh, and it's, it's a mystery, of course. I mean, the the wisest uh, theologians and philosophers throughout history have tried to explain it, and there's still not really kind of any accepted. <laughs> um, See, and I thought this was the moment where you were going to just explain the Trinity, oh, no, 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 no. and I could I could just record it and say, "Hey, you know, you guys can stop now because we, Chris and I, figured it out." It's it's no, great. I mean, it is a mystery, but it, but I think that just to say that it's a mystery doesn't mean that it's like not something we should kind of think about and try to understand. Uh, and I adhere to this this kind of social trinitarianism that. Um, that really does see the virtues of thinking of God as as three beings, a community, one community of three beings that are kind of uh, indwelling uh, one another. Um, and a lot of the kind of mystery kind of uh, revolves around kind of how how that all happens and and so forth. But but what I take from it, and what is really important for this larger conversation that we're having, uh, is the the practice of kind of being being bound together in diversity and l- the ways in which the persons of God are present, mutually present uh, to one another. Jesus saying, I don't do anything except what I see the Father doing, um, uh, and, and th- things of those sorts uh, that reflect the, the sort of mutual presence. That's, that's the sort of life that we're called into. Um, yeah. uh, it's interesting that... Uh, I mean, some of the... At least some of the gospel passages where Jesus has kind of come down to us, the kind of theological interpretation of uh, eternal life uh, or abundant life, the, that uh, word abundant uh, is in some passages, at least in the Greek, an adverb, uh, not an adjective. It modifies uh, that they might abundantly have life. Uh, and I think the sort of life that we're called into is this this life of of mutual presence, this life of being bound together with with others who are are different uh, from us, uh, and learning to uh, to to give and receive um, uh, with 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 those others, um, just as the persons of God, I believe, uh, share and give and receive and are present uh, to one another. You just you you keyed in me that picture of. Um... The Rublev's mm-hmm. icon oh, of the Trinity, <laughs> and you have three—the three persons: God, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit—and they all look different. So it echoes that diversity mm-hmm. that you're talking okay. about. But they, Rublev, left an open space at the front of the table, mm-hmm. uh, almost as an invitation. Mm-hmm. And so, what I hear in you, and 
Uh, you actually had a quote from uh, Frank Laubach in your book, Reading for the Common Good, that where it says literacy is essential to establishing the shalom of God. And so shalom being not peace in the sense of the 1960s peace <laughs> movement, but peace in the sense of everything being in its right place. Sure. And I, th- I wondered, too, if we couldn't f- swap out literacy for conversation or any of the things you're talking about where we're moving from inward to outward. We're moving from God correcting something in us to taking that into our participation in life with other people. How do you experience that as, as you hear it, that whole idea of literacy is, is what we need to reestablish the shalom, living in this fundamental foundational uh, fellowship with that's a lot of F's. This <laughs> fellowship with the Trinity. How does that play out for you? On like, how does that change your to do list? Sure, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, um, yeah. Uh, uh, let me think a second about how to articulate this. But I think one of the things that's really important to me and it kind of lies at the heart of a lot of, or at the intersection of a lot of the things that I'm thinking and writing and talking about, uh, is this idea that we need both being and doing, um, that certainly kind of in the late 20th, early 21st centuries, uh, certainly a lot of the the Christian traditions have kind of swung a lot more into doing things. And I think there's good reasons for that um, kind of reaction against kind of this sort of otherworldly uh, sort of Christianity of uh, Hal Lindsey or somebody like that uh, of 30 or 40 years ago. Um, uh, that was kind of just bide our time until we all go to heaven. Um, so we've kind of swung away from that, and that's good. Uh, but but we kind of need to to moderate uh, that um, and to really to to do out of our rich sense of of being of of wisdom. Really, honestly, um, of how do we how do we act wisely? Um, how do how do we not just kind of uh, have knee-jerk reactions because that's a lot of the tendency that we have. We see something wrong in the world uh, and we're moved, and that's a good thing. We should be moved if we ignore that kind of uh, uh, sorrow or grief or whatever that we feel when we see um, uh, racial violence or whatever. Um, then I think we have a problem if we're if we're not moved by that. But but we also shouldn't just kind of do the first thing that comes to mind. We need to really, again, going back to this idea of dynamics, there, there are things, there's a long history at play in whatever, whatever the situation is, certainly here in the United States, a long history of, of racism and white privilege. And let's, let's try to understand that a little bit and try to, uh, not not kind of put off acting until we kind of completely understand because we'll never get there, but but how do we how do we have a little bit better understanding of what field are we stepping into, uh, and how do we how do we act faithfully? How do we act with the love and the compassion of Christ and the the desire for presence of of listening and humility? Um, how do we act in those ways? And so a lot of the stuff that I'm doing with reading and conversation is, is really trying to help help people have some tools uh, for uh, 
for being, uh, for being and for, for doing that comes out of a, a deeper sense of, of identity, of, of being, um, of, of, of understanding this wonderful and messy and, uh, world that we live in. The, obviously it's hard not to, it's hard to talk about relationships at this particular moment in history without talking about how we interact with each other. Um, you have a social media presence. <laughs> I have a social media presence. We've watched and heard and seen um, what it looks like when we, and not it's just anybody, what it looks like when people who followers of Jesus or not interact with each other. Um, and I'm always wrestling with, did it get harder? <laughs> Did something change that just, and maybe it's the presence of the social media platform, did those conversations get harder or are we just that awful at consistently communicating with people? And so when I see somebody communicate with grace, it feels like such an aberration, like, whoa, (laughs) hey, where did that come from? Wow, that's that's really a breath of fresh air. So as you're writing into this conversational idea... What what is it we are we as human beings, but more specifically we as people who claim to follow Jesus, uh, want to love God with everything we have and our neighbor as ourselves? How how do we reengage this practice, this art of conversation, in a way that's healthier than you know a lot of what we're seeing right now? How would you move us forward? Sure, I mean the the case that I make in the the book manuscript that I'm finishing up now is is fundamentally conversation is a face-to-face sort of thing um, that, uh, I mean, so much of our our communication, human communication with each other, uh, our conversation with each other is, is nonverbal. It's beyond uh, just the words that we uh, exchange with one another. Um, and so, so, I mean, I really do think uh, and I argue in the book that that our churches are are the communities where we are learning or can be or should be um, learning to to recover the practice of conversation. And now that will filter, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, that will filter over into other conversations that we have. I'm certainly not, as you noted, not a luddite, I'm not one that says uh, get off social media, um, but. Uh, but I do think that, I mean, we do need to exercise a little care, uh, maybe even take some Sabbaths um, from from some of our social media interactions uh, as we are kind of uh, learning to, to talk together, uh, to extend grace uh, to one another. I mean, I think what particularly, I mean, I think it's learning to extend grace is even more important uh, in the kind of social media context uh, because it is such a limited form of communication and you're not getting kind of a full sense of uh, people's emotions and body language. And, um, and, and that's kind of all the more reason why we need to kind of extend one another grace. Um, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, it, it's complicated, but I really do believe that, Again, kind of going back to this idea as conversation as fundamentally about presence, uh, that, that there's something uh, something really important in it. And this is, I mean, we can talk theologically about this if we wanted to, uh, just about the notion of, of God with us, uh, God's desire mm-hmm. to kind of David Fitch uh, is kind of 
written a wonderful book that I've learned a lot from um, on, on faithful presence uh, and God's desire to be present with humanity and uh, kind of as a result, the ways in which God desires for us to be to be present uh, with with other humans. Um, and so so we need spaces where we can be learning that, particularly in this kind of late modern or post postmodern, whatever you want to call this, this sort of age that we're in, um, because of all the kind of fragmentation that we have um, in the ways that we think and talk and act within the world. Um, and we really do need to, to learn to be present uh, with 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 other humans, and I think personally, our churches uh, are the place to start. And I think that we have we have a story we have a story of of presence uh, in in God uh, becoming human in Jesus. Um, and I, I think that's that story uh, has the roots uh, to 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 guide us uh, on this journey of of learning to to talk and to be present to one another. And really to, to I belong, I think there's been a lot of interesting stuff within the last year, a couple of really interesting books. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Brene Brown's uh, latest book, Braving the Wilderness, is, which is an exploration of, of what does it mean to belong. And uh, uh, there was also another book that came out from Erdman's Kelly Nakandaha um, called Adopted. Uh, and she looks at kind of the biblical um, metaphor of what does it mean to belong to the family of God? Uh, again, there's a lot of people that are interested uh, in this this question of they want to belong to something. They feel like they don't belong to um, churches or families. Even sometimes they feel alienated. And 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 so with this deep desire for people to belong, how can we be uh, churches, especially? How can churches be be communities where where people are learning what it means to belong in a, in a world that has lost pretty much all if pretty yeah pretty much all the sense of what it might actually mean to belong uh, to to a body to a family. Yeah, I knew we wouldn't get through this whole talk without you recommending books. That's fantastic. So as as people go forward, uh, so they're listening to this podcast. They're on, in the car. They're on the elliptical. They're doing whatever they do. Um, People are going to leave this conversation and probably probably think one of two things. Uh, one is, I don't know that I read enough. <laughs> uh, and number two, uh, do I have the? It, it seems like there's a level of intelligence that is is being pulled on here. So to kind of close this in, how would you encourage people who may feel like I'm just I sometimes I don't feel like I'm smart enough to engage in this whole shalom of God thing that's going on. How would you, how would you invite them, uh, maybe practically or maybe philosophically, how would you invite them into this conversation in a way that would feel comfortable or accessible? Sure. That, that's a wonderful, wonderful question. I mean, again, kind of, I mean, this is why, I mean, I prefer to talk about presence, um, because and I've learned a lot from from Jean Vanier and the Larsh communities of these these communities where um, a bunch of uh, people, oftentimes a lot of college educated people, are living with people with uh, mental uh, uh, mental challenges. Um, uh, and and how do uh, how do they learn to to be present uh, to one another? Um, I think for me, uh, just parenting <laughs> uh, has been a really good experience. I mean, not, but just that, I mean, 
children are maturing <laughs> uh, and they're, they're at a different place. Uh, they don't kind of understand a lot about the world yet, um, but they're learning. And how do you, how do you kind of be with them in a way that's not always kind of, I mean, sometimes you kind of have to act authoritatively, like you can't do that. <laughs> um, but, but other times, uh, uh, you just kind of have to let people learn lessons, uh, and and how do you how do you be present uh, through through all of that, and and how do you kind of uh, hear uh, the joys and the anxieties and the pains uh, that people feel in whatever whatever situation they're in, and how do you how do you learn to um, be empathetic? Um, how do you learn to be, to be simply to be with, with someone that is in a different situation? Um, so it's, so it's not all about, um, the intellectual. I think that particularly in the 21st century that we find ourselves, I think that some of the, the habits of the mind of, of reading and, and thinking carefully and rigorously, um, they can be helpful to us uh, in in our time, uh, but but the, they're certainly not the only thing uh, we need. Uh, we need. I mean, the most important thing is is learning to be present um, and to recognize that that not everybody has has the same sort of formation and the same sort of gifts uh, that we do. And how do we how do we learn to to belong to to one another? I think that's one of the interesting. Uh, going back to the kind of image of the Trinity as a Kind of a bound diversity. Um, how do we how do we learn to to belong to one another when we're at kind of varying um, uh, educational backgrounds, um, varying uh, even capacities, perhaps um, uh, for uh, for for learning uh, things? And how do we how do we act as a body? Um, even in spite of that, how do we act together and not, because I think there's a tendency and this is a huge problem uh, with the sort of um, the, the doing heavy mentality that I was kind of describing earlier is that we want to keep doing and doing and doing and like we end up pulling away from the rest of the body because some people aren't understanding uh, what we're doing, what we're doing or why we're doing it. Um, and how do we, how do we learn to, to act as a body um, uh, together, uh, even when there, there are disagreements, there are lots of things that aren't under, mutually understood. Um, those, those are real and pressing questions. Um, but, but I think that's the life that we're called, the life of God that we're called into, uh, the, the very life of the Trinity. There's a sense of loving God with our minds that is, it, 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 it's irrespective of intelligence. Right. It doesn't yeah. matter education wise it's loving god with your mind is an active move with what you have not what you mm -hmm. don't have yeah definitely i um, love the one of my favorite passages is kind of the romans 12 1 and 2 of the, the the be transformed by by the making new of your mind and and i th again i think whatever yeah whatever your capacity and i think children can can teach us a lot about that honestly um uh, of about ways that their minds are are renewed, they're transformed, and we see that more easily in them just because of the way we are as human beings. Uh, and I think that I think that's maybe some of what Jesus was kind of getting to when uh, 
he says that we need to to come to him as as little children uh come to him as ones who are don't have our minds <laughs> always kind of uh locked in stone but but are capable of 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 metanoia of of a change of mind and and with a change of mind comes i, I would say a change of being of of learning to to be differently to exist differently to do things and again that's kind of going back to the Romans passage it says don't be conformed to the patterns of this world <laughs> uh, but be transformed in the way that we don't conform or is is to 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 be transformed to learn to act in different ways uh than than the kind of mainstream of the world around us yeah all right so i can't let you go without asking you this <laughs> What is the book that no one has heard of that they need to read? Ooh, uh, <laughs> and it could it, keep it current, like it could be really current, so that you don't have to try to explore the whole history of sure. literature. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but I, I mean, I really do think. I mean, I know that there's some folks that are aware of it, but but David Fitch's book, uh, Faithful Presence, I think that. Um, if uh, followers of Christ uh, read that uh, with other people and really tried to to understand uh, what it means and why presence is so important and the practices, I mean, all these practices that that are very familiar to us, um, taking taking the Eucharist and uh, caring for children and these very fundamental practices that most churches do, uh, but but it's a way of helping to think about those practices in fresh ways and seeing the practices not just as kind of something static that we need to do for our salvation uh, but as a way of being transformed by by learning to be present uh, to others uh, in those practices yeah i'll, I'll include a link to oh Fitch's yeah definitely book. i'd recommend that uh, david fitch is a professor at uh, northern seminary and uh, the book's called faithful presence it's a, a really good book and and fitch is a He's an alive writer, so it's not going to be stodgy. He's a lot of stories about being at McDonald's and drinking McDonald's <laughs> coffee, and yeah. stories about Canada. It just you know he'll he'll bring you in. So it's a it's a really good read. Chris, my friend, thanks for oh, doing thank this. Thank you. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing, and look forward to listening to uh, some of these conversations uh, that you're having with other folks. I'm eager to hear what other folks are are thinking and talking about in terms of in terms of wisdom yeah man i appreciate that so uh yeah so we'll talk soon ladies and gentlemen that was my friend c christopher smith or chris smith man i hope you enjoyed that conversation uh we also talked a lot about conversation and one thing i wanted to mention is that chris has a book coming up uh we can't do a title yet, but he has a book coming up on conversation on how to talk to each other, which I think is so powerful right now. And as you could hear, that was a deep passion of his. So keep an eye out on that. Make sure you go to the Inglewood Review of Books, subscribe, and uh, there are a lot of good resources that you can find there. They actually do this thing where they give these Kindle e-deals uh, for like a buck ninety-nine or two ninety-nine every week. So you can go and grab those when they come out uh, if you subscribe to their mailing list. And also, for this podcast, if you enjoyed it, please make sure that you share it or go and do a rating and review on iTunes. We also are on Google Play, so if you're an Android user and you're listening to this uh, on my website, you can also go get it for your mobile device there, hoping to expand to some other places. And also, don't forget, 
if you want more information, news, content, uh, I put out a blog every week at my website, caseytigret.com. Uh, feel free to go there if you want, and if not, it's totally fine. If you think it would be helpful, that would be great. But uh, we're going to a new episode coming out next week. I know what it's going to be, and I'm not going to tell you, but it's going to be really exciting. So I hope you subscribe and listen, and let me know how things are going. If there's someone you'd like to hear me interview or talk to, I'd love to hear about that. But until next week, be well, be wise. Peace, friends. Peace, friends.